Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Athia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me, in order that he may serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be my compulsion but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, and how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. My fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. The word of the Lord. Yes, thanks be to God. Thank you very much. All right, so this is our fourth week on the book of Philemon. And if you were a careful listener, you'll notice there were uh, three extra verses added this week. But we have been going through the book of Philemon this month before Easter because we have been wanting to explore the critical theme of the gospel, which is reconciliation. And that theme of reconciliation is not just vertical. It's not just our reconciliation with Christ or with God. It's not just peace with God, but it is also a reconciliation that is meant to be experienced horizontally amongst all people who know Christ as their Lord and Savior. 
And the book of Philemon is this wonderful, practical little book that Paul has written to a particular person named Philemon to illustrate how the gospel in our hearts that comes down from heaven works its way out into all of our relationships in the body of Christ. That is the reason that we have fixed on this image of the glass of water that is being filled to overflowing. The idea of the gospel is, as you are filled with the grace and mercy and love of God, the sure evidence of that is the overflow of grace and mercy and love to one another. And so Philemon has given us a beautiful illustration of this in all of its facets of reconciliation. Now, this is Palm Sunday, and I think it's a great way for us to transition to Easter by concluding this week with Philemon. Because as we have the the story of Jesus coming to Jerusalem, coming to the city that is supposed to be his, that is supposed to receive him with glory, and we have the words, Hosanna, Hosanna, shouted at him, and, and the palm branches being waved and him being received gloriously as he comes in on a colt. His disciples speak truthfully in Luke chapter 19 when they say, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You see, the the arrival of Jesus to Jerusalem, they recognized was the arrival of their king and was the bringing of peace from heaven at last. Now, as we know, the, the week that follows is an absolutely unexpected and shocking week where we discover that the peace that Christ brings from heaven and the peace that he secures for his people comes not by a glorious triumph and some sort of victory and overthrow of the Romans, but through the brutal submission to the cross that the sins that separated his people might be removed forever. And so, as we look at Philemon we recognize that we are the people created by the Prince of Peace who has laid down his life to make us peacekeepers, peacegivers, peaceseekers, and peacemakers. Our central point today is this. Peace must be the priority of every member of the church. Now this requires us to think about the church and in a way that, that maybe is not very um, familiar in our, in our present context. I'm reminded of a story of a, of a man who was an explorer. And he went into the deepest jungle, and he came across a single individual, a rugged man who had, had been living by himself for a very long time. It appears that he had crashed his airplane into the, into the jungle, had been there for, for decades perhaps, And because he could not get out, he decided to make the very best of the situation. And he got to work building a little society, a little culture, a little town for him to live in. And the explorer was excited as this man showed him around all the things that he had built, all the things that he had done to make a little bit of home for himself in this jungle. So we we saw that the man had had built uh, a very nice home He had built a library, he had built a park, he'd even built a theater for himself to go to. He had really recreated all of the things that he loved. And then the explorer was brought by this man to this very beautiful building with a steeple 
and a cross. And the man said, this, I am very proud of, this is my house of worship. This is where I go to worship every week. And the explorer was very excited as he saw this house and, and was amazed at all that he had done. And then he saw there was a building next to the house of worship that looked similar but was in disrepair. And so the explorer asked, well, now what's this other house over here? And the man looked at him and he said, oh, that's the house where I used to worship. Okay, that was supposed to be kind of a... You see, the explorer finds a man all by himself in the jungle, and he still has to move churches because there's something with the first church that he didn't like. Okay, come on, friends. It wasn't a true story. You should have known it from the very beginning. But here we have an individual who has gotten sick of his first church and made another church. And that, I think, is, is puts a finger on something about the modern American spirit when it comes to churches. Often, we move from one church to another with a consumerist mindset that is looking for a church that fits us just right, that has everything that fits our needs, that gives us the, the, the ministries that we want. And so it is always tempting as we drive down these streets filled with churches to simply move to another church when things aren't going our way or when things are no longer to our liking. And it's especially tempting when your church has conflict. But what we see in the book of Philemon is that when conflict comes to a church and it can come to a church, that is the place that and the opportunity that God has given to that church to really be the church in a fascinating way, to really testify to the power of the gospel, to a, a resource that the rest of the world doesn't have, the ability to make real peace, to accomplish real reconciliation. And so as we look at this week, we are going to look at the role of the church in the book of Philemon. We saw last week that Inside the church, people are not always prone towards peacemaking, but towards peace faking. Let's just try and make it work. Let's just try and overlook it. Let's not deal with whatever issue is causing conflict. And the ultimate step of peace faking is moving down the street. But I want us to see today a higher calling, a higher opportunity for us to give glory to God as a church by recognizing the church's role in peacekeeping to the glory of God. Let's recap the story of the book of Philemon so that we know where we are. We have, in the last three weeks, we have been looking at the various characters in the plot of this story. Basically what has happened in the book of Philemon is this. There was this man who was a slave named Onesimus. He was the slave of Philemon. Onesimus got sick of that. He stole some of Philemon's money or property, and he ran away, which was breaking the law, and it was thievery. And so this, per- this person, Onesimus, runs away from his little town of Colossae and escapes all the way to the, to the uh, town of Rome, which is where Paul was. And Onesimus runs into the apostle Paul while Paul is under house arrest at the end of the, ch- of the book of Acts. Now, remarkably, we don't know how that happened, but we do know that when Paul and Onesimus meet, Paul shares the gospel with Onesimus, and Onesimus becomes a believer in Christ. 
Now what happens after that is Paul writes this letter to Philemon, which is a letter to tell Philemon, I am sending Onesimus, this person who has broken your trust, back to you to be reconciled. So Onesimus is going back to Philemon with this letter and an apology and hoping to receive from Philemon forgiveness. And so we have seen the role of Onesimus, the peace seeker. We have seen the role of Philemon, the peace giver. And we have seen the role of Paul, the peacemaker. But there is a fourth character in this story that we cannot overlook. Look carefully at verse 2. And the church in your house. Verse 2 says, to Philemon and to the church in your house. This letter isn't just addressed to Philemon, but it is addressed to the whole church. Thus, today we need to examine the role of the church as those who protect and keep the peace in the body of Christ. In, in some sense, this message, if all the others didn't apply to you, and I would be surprised if they didn't, but if they didn't, this one, this one is about you. This one is about us. Paul is going to show us three reasons peace must be a priority of every member of the church. And so as we look at these reasons, let us reflect upon our own contribution to living forgiveness and keeping peace in the church. And before I get any further, I, I guess you did not have your uh, little insert in your bulletin today. There are uh, inserts printed and on the back table. If this is something that you would like to use to follow along in the sermon, they are on that back table if you would like one. We, we've changed that this week, and I forgot to announce it. All right, but now let us, let us look at this text in detail and look at the three reasons why peace must be the priority of every member of the church. The very first reason that we see in the book of Philemon is this. Peace is the church's charter. Peace is the church's charter. Look at verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is writing these words to the whole church. Now, up where I come from in Kansas City, we kind of smirk at this, but you have the right word in the South to translate this sentence, but unfortunately most Bible translators come from the North. What you should have here is grace to y'all and peace. Because the word you written here is the plural you. It is all of you. All right? So this verse in the Bible is not just written to Philemon. It is written to every single person in this congregation. And Paul wants them to know grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. What we need to recognize as we, as we explore this first point that peace is the church's charter is that biblical peace, biblical peace rests on biblical grace. We experience true peace when we have experienced true grace. And the reason that we have peace is because we have been reconciled to God by grace in Christ. How has that happened? Well, if we go back to some of the stuff that we talked about last week, we saw that the Apostle Paul, functioning as the peacemaker, 
was taking all of his steps about how to bring Onesimus and Philemon, two people who are in very different places culturally. One is at the very bottom of the social ladder. One is at the very top of the social ladder. One is completely guilty in the eyes of the law, and one is completely righteous in the eyes of the law. We saw that what Paul did to bring these people together was quite fascinating. We see it in verses 16 through 18, which I'm going to go ahead and read for us again. Paul says that you might have him, Onesimus, back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Paul does three fascinating things to bring peace between Onesimus and Philemon. The first is he calls Philemon not to receive Onesimus by law, but by grace. Do not receive him as a bondservant, receive him as a brother. And how is that going to be accomplished? Paul says he wants two things to happen. I want you to receive Onesimus as if you are receiving me. You see, Paul and Philemon are best friends. They're close friends. They both belong on that higher end of the social spectrum. They both have authority. They both have honor. They both have respect. They live at the top of that social ladder. And so Paul is saying, I want you, when Onesimus comes to you, to see him and receive him with the same friendship and relationship that you and I have. I want you to receive him as a friend, as if you're receiving me. And then also... When Onesimus comes in front of you, if Onesimus owes you any money, is a way of saying, I know that he has stolen from you. I know he has taken precious things from you. If he has done any of that, here's what I want you to do. Take all of his penalty, all of his charges, and put that on my account. I will repay it. So what Paul is seeking to do is give Onesimus the perfect relationship between him and Philemon to Onesimus and taking away all of the penalty, all of the punishment, all of the financial hardship that Onesimus has and putting that on Paul. So he is taking the debt of Onesimus and putting it on himself and putting the good relationship of Paul and putting that on Onesimus. That's a brilliant idea. That's an amazing solution for peacemaking. Do you know where Paul got this idea? Where Paul came up with the idea of taking someone's debt and paying for it himself, and at the same time, giving all of the righteousness, all of the perfect relationship to accomplish reconciliation. Paul is doing what Christ has done for us in the gospel. What we have have in the gospel is that the perfect son of God has come down from heaven, come down to be one with mankind, with sinners, with rebels, with those who are running into judgment. 
And he has come down, he has taken on flesh, and he has become brother with the lowest of the low, the most sinful of sinful. He has come all the way down, but he has lived with them to live a life of righteousness and perfect reputation. Because he comes from the Father, he is able to then to give all of his favor, all of his love, all of his righteousness to the people who come to him in faith. And then when he dies on the cross, he takes all of the sin, all of the debt, all of the unrighteousness, and puts it on himself and pays it all. So that when we are in Christ, God no longer sees our sin. He sees that completely paid for and removed. What he sees when he sees us is his very son, Jesus, smiling back at him. And that means that in the gospel, which is given to us by grace alone, we have perfect peace. We stand before a holy father and are loved and received as a most beautiful son and daughter because we have been perfectly reconciled by the grace of God in Christ. And because of that, we have the peace that comes in the words, Father. Is there any safer word that we could have for God than Father? And I I use the word safe maybe recklessly, but what I mean by that is, he's your Father. Once he's your Father, he'll never not be your Father. It doesn't mean that there won't be discipline, but there will always be love. There will always be reconciliation. There will always be come into my banquet. There will be everlasting life. You have perfect love in the gospel. That's what the word father means. And where there is perfect love, there is no longer any place for fear. You have a relationship with a holy God. And you call him father. So biblical peace rests on biblical grace. And because of that, this makes the church the house of grace and peace. Listen to these words from Paul from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Because of the gospel, the church has become the house of grace and peace. 
the, 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 the peace that Christ has given us with the Father means that we also must have peace with one another. These unities are inseparable. Pay careful attention to how we have been brought together. The same thing that has brought us peace with God in heaven, the blood of Christ, is the peace that has brought us together as a church. It is the blood of Christ that has made us brothers and sisters together. Membership in a church is a gift purchased by Christ, purchased by the most precious thing Christ could give, his own lifeblood. Cherishing the church and protecting its peace must be our priority. And so if, if we understand this, if we grasp this, we cannot be consumers of churches. Separation from a church is a, is a weighty matter because it is essentially saying that the difference that I now have with this church is greater than what Christ has given to make it one. To separate from a church, I hope you have the reason that is greater than the blood of Christ. Because that is what is being communicated when you disfellowship with a church. The paint on these walls is so bad that I don't think Christ bled for them. Let's be careful what we choose to separate on. There are issues that must separate people, but they are issues that must be grounded in preserving the precious blood of Christ. Let us be sober when we think about, I'm getting tired of this church, or I would rather go to that church with the bigger gymnasium or something like that. Because the blood of Christ has made a gift for you and has purchased you to stay together through thick and thin. Peace is the church's charter. Second, peace is the church's nature. Peace is the church's nature. Let us look carefully again at verses 15 and 16, that you might have him back forever. This is speaking to Philemon about Onesimus. No longer as a slave, but as a beloved brother in the Lord. We've talked at great detail about how the book of Philemon absolutely rots out the sinful institution of slavery. The idea of owning somebody cannot exist in the gospel which makes everybody brother and sister in Christ. But when we read these words, brother and sister, and they're all over the book of Philemon, you see our uh, sister Aphia in verse 2, our brother Philemon in uh, verse 6, you see Onesimus as a son and a brother in verses uh, uh, 9 through 20, all throughout. You see these words, brother and sister. We see them in the scriptures all over the place. How do we... How do we really weigh those terms? Do we kind of hear the words brother, sister, family of God, and shrug? Yeah, that's just a, that's just a way we, we talk about each other. Just like 
you know, I was a sales associate when I worked at Sam's Club. That was the word we like to use, associate or team member. Are these just, is this just slogans? Brother, sister. Is it just churchy talk? You know, is it just being Baptisty? Which I, 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 I've experienced that. Sometimes you wonder if, if just being called brother is, is uh, just a way of, of, of saying, I, I don't have any bosses. I don't know. There is a, a certain um, devaluation, I think, amongst many when we read these words brother and sister that do not fit what the gospel means for us to grasp when, the, when we are called brother and sister. Let us look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Paul writes, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You see, the idea that we are brother and sister and sons and daughters is the pinnacle gift of the gospel. That we are able to call God Father and one another brother and sister is because God has given us his Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to be one with us, to be the deposit of eternal life, to be the guide of sanctification. It is so that we are not just legally children of God, but spiritually we are children of God. We have God's spirit in us. When God looks at us, he sees his Holy Spirit reflected back to him. Just like you see your face in your child's face looking back at you. Because we have the Holy Spirit. When God looks down and sees you, his spirit shines through you and he sees the semblance of himself in you. This is the pinnacle of, gift of the gospel, that we are a new people, a new family. And because we are united by the Spirit, we are brought together by something more permanent, more precious than blood and DNA. In reality, as you grow in the gospels, you grow in the Lord, you will find yourself with a closer relationship and resonance spiritually with your church than people in your family who do not know the Lord. That's what's supposed to be happening. Now people like Onesimus, they grasp this easily. This is good news. They have gone from a nobody to having a family. They've gone from a slave to being a son. And this is a wonderful gift. They've gone from a margin to being in the king's house. But it also must be good news for people like Philemon. People who have everything. They had a house. They had wealth. They had servants. But they also must see the gospel as the place where their real family lies. That's the heart of the argument. It is not about your bloodline, Philemon. It is about your spiritual brotherhood with Onesimus. And when that spiritual brotherhood with Onesimus operates as it should, you won't let him come back to you as a slave. You will make him a brother. 
You will love him fully with all the rights that belong to him. Eugene Peterson says something that I think all, all with a Philemon spirit, all who have a, have a perfectly happy family outside of the church need to hear. Those who can find much of the connection that a church provides for the people like Onesimus need to remember what Peterson says. When we become Christians, we are among brothers and sisters in faith. No Christian is an only child. No Christian is an only child. The whole idea of this brother and sisterhood is that our nature is to be a family. And not just a family for a period of time. It is brothers forever, as we see in verse 15 and 16. When we recognize that our nature as a church is a family, it means that we work it out. We work it out. That's what families do. Family is bigger than the individual. Family is more permanent than the conflict. Family nature is to reconcile and restore because we are bound together forever. So we don't put off a conflict. We don't allow resentment to be sown and to grow into bitterness, we work towards reconciliation. When we recognize as the family of God that we are going into heaven together where it will be peace and harmony till the days have no number, then peace and love is the eternal reality. It must also reflect the present. Are you going to be mad at your brother forever? Are you going to hold the grudge forever? Then work it out. Work it out now. Because living in peace is far better than living in conflict. Work for peace. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3, our nature is eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit. Let the Spirit joyously reside in us by working out the conflict, by making peace, by saying I'm sorry, by saying I forgive you, by saying let's work through this. If you're not going to be angry forever, then work for peace today. Peace is the church's nature. Third, church, uh, peace is the church's pursuit. Peace is the church's pursuit. Now again, we need to go back to verse 2 and look at it very carefully. We're used to reading the book of Philemon as a letter written to Philemon. And for the most part, it is. It's Paul writing to Philemon. But it's not a private letter. Verse 2 says this. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. It's important to understand as we read the book of Philemon that what happened historically is that Onesimus 
was given this letter by the Apostle Paul and sent back home to Philemon's house and was and brought this letter into their church, into their worship service. He was with a man named Tychicus, who we'll meet in just a minute. But in the middle of the worship service, at some point, I don't know where it was, I don't have their uh, bulletin, but there would have been this statement from Tychicus, Brother Philemon, we have a letter from the Apostle Paul that is written to you. We are now going to read it. And so Philemon would stand up in the middle of this church that's meeting in his own house amongst all these brothers and sisters in Christ. And all of the brothers and sisters in Christ would be there to hear this letter read aloud. It was a public reading of this letter that was speaking very personally to Philemon to do something that was very challenging. Forgive somebody who doesn't deserve forgiveness. Give somebody freedom who doesn't deserve freedom. Respond with love with somebody that he has become angry at. And yet, the whole church is here to watch Philemon receive this letter from Paul. Can you imagine that dynamic? That's a very different way of understanding it. Why? What's the reason for this? Why does Paul make the whole church sit in as an audience of this letter? Why isn't it not just a personal private correspondence? I think the only way, the only thing we can come to is Paul expects the church to provide accountability. He wants the eyes and the ears of the church to be fully aware of this conflict and Paul's request to Philemon so that as the days and weeks ahead transpire, the church is able to provide accountability on this conflict between Onesimus and Philemon. This is... uh, an example of the church being positioned to serve the peace by their solidarity. And it reminds us that the pursuit of peace in a church is a shared responsibility. The pursuit of peace belongs to the whole church. Do we like the idea of a church having a role in our conflicts? I mean, most of us, if the church were to say, uh, you need to stop what you're doing. We say, mind your own business. Man, that's, that's kind of our default. But as we go back to the biblical picture, we see that the whole church plays a role in helping bring peace to these conflicts. Behind all of this is Jesus' instructions in Matthew chapter 18, which we read in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that that your charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. 
One of the duties of the church given by Christ himself is to protect peace by calling people to repentance. Repentance that has become willful. The words for this is church discipline. The church around Philemon is serving this function. That is the reason that Paul includes them in this letter. So that they would provide the encouragement and the pressure to bring Philemon and Onesimus to reconciliation. Not to allow them to harden their hearts, but to put pressure on them to repent and reconcile. And so we need to recognize that as church discipline is part of this letter, and this whole letter has been shaped by that phrase, on the basis of love, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, we need to recognize that Paul is advising church discipline on the basis of love. Now many of us maybe have a hard time seeing the words church discipline and love together. Discipline and love seem to be on contrary paths. But I think it is helpful to remember that church discipline is about calling someone to repentance which is the most loving thing you can do if you truly believe that unforgiveness and unrepentance is a path of of pain and destruction and separation and hurt and uh, conflict, then to call it to stop is the most loving, benevolent thing you can do. Jonathan Lehman in a book on church discipline reminds us that Church discipline is loving because it shows four acts of love. One, it shows love for the individual, that he or she might be warned and brought to repentance. Two, it shows love for the church, that weaker sheep might be protected. Three, it shows love for the watching world, that it might see Christ's transforming power. And four, it shows love for Christ, that churches might uphold his holy name and obey him. So the words church discipline, I hope that they become words that we recognize as a loving act whenever they are necessary. And so the reason that the church is involved here, I believe, is to prepare for the case, if it happens to go there, of church discipline. Now finally, peace is the church's pursuit. We see that that means that there is shared responsibility, but there is also another part that the church has to play in the pursuit of peace. Peace requires the church's full acceptance of the resolution. And so we saw these last couple verses from Colossians read, which is the only other place that we hear the story of Onesimus. But in Colossians 4, verse 7, we hear Tychicus, who is the letter carrier, will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. This is not the last word. The book of Philemon is not the last word on Onesimus. Likely the letter of Colossians and the letter of Philemon were sent in the same envelope. They're going to the same place. And so in this letter to Colossians, which is given to the whole church, Paul gives an instruction to the church about Onesimus that goes beyond what he says to Philemon. He says to them, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. The word faithful could be also translated trusty. 
trustworthy, which is probably not accidental, because if his reputation was that he was a thief, Paul is saying, don't let that be the reputation any longer. The word from Paul here is to the church to accept the peace that is made between Onesimus and Philemon to be between Onesimus and the whole church. Okay, that's important. Because the peace can be derailed when the church questions the peace. Perhaps in Onesimus' story, there are collateral hurts, collateral wounds. Perhaps Onesimus' thievery and his abandonment hurt more people than just Philemon. Perhaps Onesimus' acts are not completely described in this letter. Perhaps there is more skullduggery about Onesimus than we know in the book of Philemon. And there may be people in the church of Colossae that says, I need to hear about this, I need to be here about this, I need to hear about this. I have an issue with Onesimus too. And so until I get reconciliation, there is no peace. We need to recognize the danger that comes from that. The grumbling of asking if there were if everything was taken care of or the or if there was a better apology that could have been made or if more that could have been done. If that grumbling spirit takes the place of seeking to keep the peace, then that wound can't heal. That wound can't heal. And it will continue to fester and be kept alive. So when Paul writes this specific word to the book of Onis, uh, to, to the rest of Colossae, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, he is saying, accept him and accept the resolution as final. Accept this peace. Welcome Onesimus as brother, as one of you. And in this, we find Romans twelve eighteen, where Paul says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Not every conflict gets completely fixed in the most beautiful way. But at some point we need to say, so far as it depends on me, I'm going to live at peace. I'm dropping it. And we're going to get back together and get on the way. So peace is the church's pursuit. As I finish this sermon, I just want to ask two things. One is of the whole congregation, but before we get there, let me ask you directly. Do you have peace with God? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you know that all of your sins, and there are many sins, let's not hide that, let's not deny that, can be completely paid on Christ, and all of Christ's righteousness can be put upon you simply by putting your faith alone in Jesus Christ, by saying, Jesus, I am a sinner. Save me and be my Lord. And you can be at peace with God. If that is not true with you, I pray, do that today. And the second, as we seek to be the church in Philemon's day today, I am encouraging uh, for us to take a pledge of peace towards one another. Um, this is, comes from the, the book of, by Tom Reiner that we've been going through in our membership class. 
I'm going to read it to you. But it would hearten me if, if you agree with these words, if you would stand and read them with me. The words that I want us to read together is, and this is all from the scriptures we have read, I will seek to be a source of unity in my church. I know there are no perfect pastors, elders, staff, or other church members, but neither am I. I will not be a source of gossip or dissension. One of the greatest contributions I can make is to do all I can in God's power to help keep the church in unity for the sake of the gospel. If you would like to say those words as a pledge, as a member of this church, I would ask you to stand and recite them with me. All right. Repeat with me. I will seek to be a source of unity in my church. I know there are no perfect pastors, elders, staff, or other church members, but neither am I. I will not be a source of gossip or dissension. One of the greatest contributions I can make is to do all I can in God's power to help keep the church in unity for the sake of the gospel. Amen.